I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, a very happy new year to you. I'm Martin Bayfield, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this show, England and Saracens lock George Cruz joined us in the studio, along with members of the England Seven squad. And we analyse the fallout at Leicester Tigers following the sacking of Richard Cockrell. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Ben Kay, Ugo Monia and our studio guests. Yes, that news about Richard Cockrell has rocked the Premiership. In fact, it's been one of the big conversation points in the rugby world. What on earth is going on at England's most decorated club? Nick Mullins went to find out. Richard Cockrell was back here at Leicester's Oval Park training base this morning saying goodbye to players and fans. The decision to make the change was taken on Sunday morning, New Year's Day, before the game against Saracens. He was told at a breakfast meeting at 8 o'clock on the Monday and Aaron Major was given control of the club until the end of the season. I found that on Monday, so I bought him for me that Cockers uh, had been released and they just uh, offered me the opportunity to to see it through till the end of the year and, and, and be in charge of the team on an interim basis. And your immediate reaction? Oh, sad and really, it's it's um, it's not nice for anybody. You know, Cocker and I have a, a pretty strong personal relationship, and um, I really respect and admire Cocker as, as a person and what he's done for the club. Uh, on a coaching um, front, it's probably been a little bit less uh, smooth. Um, we've probably had a lot of fundamental differences of philosophy around playing the game and how we train, all those bits and pieces. But on a personal level it's been quite hard and um, it's been tough on everybody. When you came over here beginning of last season did you honestly think that the relationship could work? Yeah definitely I thought um, it could actually work in our favour I thought the you know two different styles could could really work but uh, why hasn't it? Um, I think when you like I say when you your fundamental um, differences in philosophy are, are so far apart and, and certain things, yeah, you're constantly pulling in different directions, you know. There must have been a point where you suddenly realised that there wasn't room for the two of you there. Well, I think probably the whole way through, yeah, yeah, when, you, when you're constantly um, sort of pulling in different directions, that you, you ask yourself those questions. But like I say, it wasn't through a lack of effort. We tried to, um, you know, while we're working together, tried to work through those things and, and make it work. So um, obviously that that decision was taken out of our hands because um, the board wanted some improvement and they made that decision. But are you contracted to be here next season? Would you like to be here next season? I'm contracted to be here next season, yep. And if uh, if all goes well and um, I've got the the support that I need, then um, I'd happily look at at that as an option. 
but yeah, I, I suppose it's not really in my hands. <laughs> How will this place, this this club, remember him? I, I think you'll remember him for what he stood for. He was honest, he was to the point, um, very hardworking and a very committed guy. You know, he gave his heart and soul to this club. He lived and breathed Leicester. And, you know, you can't buy that in some regards. Um, but that's ingrained into a lot of us as well at the same time. Cockles was always a man that, that said, uh, no one person is bigger than the club. And to be honest, you know, as a player, when I leave, whenever that is, I don't expect anyone will be looking backwards at me. And I don't think he'll expect it. I think as a group, the decision's been made and, and we'll just, we're, we're a tight group of players and um, we want to win things, we want to be successful. So as far as we're concerned, the next job is Sunday and what's happened's happened. Well, Ben, Ugo, I mean, the players talking there almost as though it's a bereavement, and in some ways it is from Leicester. He, ben, he was such a massive part of the, of the club. You're clearly on the board, so I realise there's some things you can say, some things you can't say. We heard there without, from Aaron Major a difference of opinion, a clash of personalities. Was that the main reason, or is there, is there more to it than that? I think, firstly, I'd like to say it's quite difficult to talk about because not only am I on the board, but I also consider myself a mate of Cockers. I'd like to put on record that he has been exceptional through this period. Um, obviously, very difficult for him, and I couldn't imagine anyone handling it any better. Um, and I think that's come across in his public response as well. Um, I, think you're, I think it is a, a case of, you know, when, when Matt O'Connor left the club and Leicester were still in finals and winning finals, I think there was a feeling that probably there was a, there was a need for change after that year when we didn't have any success and um, you know the attack play wasn't particularly good. So there's, there's been that rumbling that perhaps we need to Leicester need to change their their style of play. Um, Aaron Major was brought in to do that. Now clearly Aaron's pointed out there that they didn't. Um, although they and, and I hate the stories in the media that they they were constantly at each other's throat. Their professional attitude was brilliant. But I think the players picked on, up on the fact that they had diametrically opposed views on certain things to do with the way to play the game. So, you know, all this talk of a, a, a player, um, you know, mutiny uh, against Richard Cockrell isn't true. Obviously, the board would have spoken, or we did speak to players, um, to as part of the wider review. You've got to remember how many injury issues Richard Cockrell has had. Um, when you look at his salary cap, the, the large percentage of it missing with Matt Tamua, Manu Tuolangi, uh, Peterson, Veanu, Tate. It's a, it's a hell of an injury crisis to, to get through. Um, but I think the board felt, and speaking to some of the players, that because Richard Cockrell is always going to be a coach who's a primary voice, he's going to be the one who wants to do the speaking. He's not going to be the sort of coach that's going to let other people and then he'll just come in. That had sort of got to the, the, the point where those messages, because they're delivered in quite a passionate way and they're quite simple, lost a bit of impact with the players. And I think that it was more a case of, you look at Tom Young saying there, who again has been very good as well, he's ingrained that into the players. They know all that. They feel what they uh, were saying is that, you know, perhaps a bit more technical. And you look at the coaches that have had immense uh, longevity in their careers, um, you know, in football, Alex Ferguson, if you think about it, he changed his first team coach every few years and it was the first team coach that was delivering the message. So when Alex Ferguson came in and said something, it always had that impact. If you're constantly the one 
that's making that um, team speech, making the, the tactical speech, it just loses a bit of impact. So I think it was time for, time for change. Um, I think there's is genuine sadness across the board at Leicester that Cock has had to go. I think it would have been a lot easier decision had it not been Richard Cock. No great pleasure from anyone seeing him go. He was Leicester Tigers through and through, and those of us who played against him and then dealt with him in the media. A phenomenal individual. I think it's worth remembering his, his playing career and his coaching career. His playing career with, with Leicester Tigers is phenomenal. It goes back to 1991-92. I remember playing for, with him for the Midlands back in 1991. So he's been at the club a long time, part of that famous ABC club. You can see there the appearances, the tries, the success with them, not just with them, but with England as well. And then kind of fell into the bigger coaching roles as well. We'll look at his coaching as well. A phenomenal success. And Hugo, when you look at this, what are Leicester Tigers looking for in a coach, in someone to replace him? And you get the feeling that Richard Cockrell is not a man who's going to be out of a job for very long. No, absolutely. I think rugby needs characters like him, absolutely. I think he's clearly got a huge amount to give, but interesting to listen to Aaron Major. Clearly, there were fundamental differences in terms of how they wanted the game to play. If Aaron Major is that guy which is kept in, they probably want someone more aligned with that attacking process. That's what they want to do. Um, they've played a certain while for a good while. They just want to take to the next level. I think when you look around the premierships, a lot of other clubs would love to have the problems that Leicester have. Um, from the outside looking in, would say it's a brave decision. A man, man and boy at the club, someone who really is Leicester eyes to boot him out, bring someone else in. But I think if you're within the camp, you know, nothing changes if nothing changes. And let's face it, you become fairly impatient and pretty selfish as professionals. You've got a limited shelf life and you want to win as much as you can. They've been nearly men for a little while. They just probably need to bring someone in, brand new voice, breath of fresh air, attacking mindset to take them to the next level. It's a difficult balancing act because at Leicester, qualifying for the top four is not enough. They want to be winning things. And if you look at great dynasty, sporting dynasties over the years, someone like Liverpool, when they started in football, when they started to slip, they were still winning FA Cups, they were still getting second in the league, but by the time they realised that they'd slipped too far, it was, it was a massive rebuilding job. So it's that delicate balance between have, has Richard Cockrell, and some of it is down to injuries, but has he created the environment for the performance that will get you to it, because it's not results-based, as long as the, you feel the environment's right to give you the best shot of winning the league. And that's why the decision was made now, not at the end of the season, because Leicester still want to win the league this year. They're down in fifth, and it was felt that if you, if you wanted to win the league, the best chance of doing that was to make this change now. Aaron Major, clearly from what we heard from him, he's not sure he's going to be there next season. So the pressure is on. You mentioned that Richard Cochran is obviously a good playing colleague of yours, but also a very good mate of yours. What next for him? Where do you see him going? I think he, he could, will be able to take his pick from a, from a number of roles. I don't really want to talk about other coaches that might be under pressure because I, don't, I think that's disrespectful to them. But undoubtedly there are other coaches that are under pressure in the Premiership. But also he had two years playing for Clermont Ferrand as they were. He speaks French, he could rekindle that. And I think his style of discipline coupled with aggression would be welcomed wholeheartedly in France if he chose that route. Well, it'll be fascinating to see how, uh, how Leicester react and respond to this, recover from this. And, of course, we wish Richard Cockrell all the very best. He is one of the great rugby characters. He should not be lost to the game. Good luck, Cockers, wherever you are. We hope everything works out well for you. Right, time to chat with a big rugby name, and I mean big. One of the biggest lumps in the English game. But to call him that is to do him a disservice. Yes, he's a beast of a man, but he's every inch the modern second row, at the heart of everything that has been good for England and Saracens. Please welcome George Cruz. 
Ross, great to see you recovered from that workout in the gym. Pretty exhaustive, two kilo weight. We Tough were worried one. about that because we weren't sure exactly what it is you can do. You are bearing the scars of a pretty serious injury. Quick update. What's happened to the face? Nah, What's the recovery time? Uh, just a little knock on the cheekbone, um, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks. OK, typical rugby player reaction. <laughs> Nothing. Tis but a flesh wound. Excellent. Well, we hope we do see you back. Uh, what, what's been the reaction at, at Saracens to the, to the big news of Richard Cockrell going? Tough. I mean, I think, you know, like, like you guys have been saying, he's, he's been an unbelievable coach for, for the last 10 years or so. Um, kept him right up there, competing. Um, you know, it's, it's probably split opinion. You know, I don't know the ins and outs exactly, but, um, you know, it's, it's tough to see a, a manager like that um, who's, who's been there for so long uh, depart. Benny, you've got an illustrious history as an England second row, uh, <laughs> one of the very best there's been. The, the role of the second row is changing. The lock now is such an integral part to a team. So many roles and responsibilities. This guy and Marrow are kind of redefining what's going on. What, what sets him apart? What sets the new second row apart? The game has changed. The ball's in play longer. There are less resets at the scrum, which means that these guys' role has changed. You know, you, the, the, the energy levels that they're expending at the scrum time isn't as much, so they can then transfer them. And with the skill sets that they have, Really nice balance, I think, between them in terms of what their skills are. Um, they make a formidable team, particularly at the line-out, um, which I know George sort of runs that aspect, but to have the athleticism of the likes of Marrow in there must, must make it easier as well. Um, but it's, I, I think it is uncharted territory, and you know, I'm immensely jealous because, you know, if you'd spoken to my teammates, they said the best aspect of my game wasn't the nitty-gritty stuff, but you know, these guys are now able to combine the standard second row play with a lot more of the, the enjoyable stuff. And there's pressure on you guys, isn't there? Because you and Mara clearly are, have, have set a level, but right up there with you, you've got Joe Launchbury and Courtney Laws, and, a good, and Dave Atwood, good number of second rows. Eddie Jones has brought his squad together, the EPS squad and the training squad. Did you go down to, to Brighton for the last couple of days for that? Yeah, went down a couple of days in Brighton. It was quite nice. What was, what was the message? Not a lot of time to do a great deal. What was the message from Eddie James? It was just organisational stuff. Um, no judo this time. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it was pretty low-key. Um, just trying to prepare to beat France. I think that's the, the key message for us. And the message, Hugo, the interesting thing coming from Eddie Jones is he said to these guys, we're not defending a Six Nations title. We've got to go out and win it again. Absolutely. I mean, he's clearly someone that doesn't rest on their laurels. 2016 is gone. He's dr quickly drawn a line under that and says, guys, let's get out there, attack. He's always had an attacking mindset. He said, I think, towards the end of November, set piece and defence went really well. The one thing what's taken to our next level is attack, so attack being the operative word. Let's have a look at that, uh, that training squad and some very, very familiar names. Some, uh, some surprise omissions, of course, people who weren't in the training squad, who are in the EPS squad, but uh, one of your teammates wasn't in the training squad, isn't in the EPS squad either, Alex Good. Was that a, a surprise when you heard that news? I guess so. I think, you know, he's a top quality player. Um, we see him week out, week in, week out. Um, lucky enough to play with him and uh, he's, he's an unbelievable player. Um, it's just, I guess it's a big man's call. Hugo, what do you reckon the call was? It's really tough, brilliant. Player of the season last year in the Premiership. But I don't think, and I said this, I think, at the weekend, it's not down to the quality of the player. It's probably more so the style of player. I think Eddie Jones wants more of a running threat rather than a ball player. He has that at 10 and 12 with Farrell and Ford. So he wants someone that can really attack the line. And, you know, there's a plethora of talent there, whether it's Mike Brown, current England 15, Anthony Watson, Elliot Daly, potentially, as well as Mike Haley's coming. I think the other 
aspect, if you look at Eddie Jones's, the age profiles of his squad, he tends to have that starting 15 and probably the backup guy as, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are, but if you're not one of those, he then looks to younger, you know, Haley coming into the squad, younger guy that he can bring through. So if he's, if he's not seeing Alex Good as his number two, then I think that could be something to do with it as well. Develop some of the younger guys so they can take over. And the likes of Daly, um, you know, Haley, it's only Brown really who's getting on a little bit, Brown and Good. So. One, of the, uh, one of the younger guys who has been dropped out of the squad is Ellis Genge, Leicester prop. In comes Nathan Catt. Ben, your, your view on that one? I think, you know, Ellis, Ellis went in as a very raw um, player. You know, he'd only just arrived at Leicester, straight into the England squad. He's got amazing physical attributes, but he's got a lot to learn. Now, I think part of bringing him in at that stage was to put him in that environment to see what sort of personality he was, but also to give him exposure to learn as well. He probably wants to do the same with Nathan Catt, who's, despite injury, I think would have had England caps by now, perhaps anyway, because he's really impressed me with, with, with some of his performances for Bath over the years, but at the vital time has picked up injury. So, again, another opportunity for Eddie just to see what makes this guy tick, and I wouldn't, you know, it's not the end of Ellis Genge, let, let's be honest. George, what about the injuries that have hit the England pack? Eddie Jones is looking to test his full squad, get him battle-hardened, ready for a World Cup campaign in a few years' time. But the injuries are coming thick and fast for the pack. It's not going to be anywhere near what it was through this last 2016. Is that, uh, is that something he talked about? Yeah, it's, we're lucky enough to have a lot of depth at the moment. Um, like like um, Ben said, you know, we've brought people into the squad. The squad has changed a fair bit in and out over the last 12 months. Um, and we're just lucky enough now to have backed up that depth um, and we can kind of pick those teams accordingly. Yeah, we hope that that's right, because when you think of some of those players missing the Vunipola brothers, question mark over Chris Robshaw as well as well. Due launch beat a lot of players out. We'll see what the mercurial Eddie Jones can come up with. Well, whatever the pain currently being felt at Leicester, anyone who travels to Welford Road knows they're in for a mighty challenge. Saracens made the trip at the weekend, keen to reclaim the top spot from Wasps. The win was a good one. It wasn't enough to oust Wasps from top position. They needed a five-pointer to do that. They weren't really ever going to do that against Leicester at Welford Road. But a bit of a gap developing between the top two. Exeter and Bath, the rest in the top four. Leicester, five points behind. Northampton will be delighted that they've edged themselves into the top six. Ben, I mean, big news, obviously, at Leicester Tigers. And it's kind of swamped the other bad news. Just the continuing foul luck for Manu Tulangi. Yeah, I mean, I, when the incident happened, I, I felt physically sick for him because he has worked so hard to get himself back. He is in the shape of his life, and this is the carry here. It's a great carry, but you can just see probably one of the issues for Manu Tuilagi is he tracks three defenders every time he carries the ball. And if you've got your, his power and weight going through the joint and three other guys, you leave yourself liable to, to a problem. And that is um, a, a typical injury in American football, which they, they brought in a law to stop people tackling from behind because you're likely to do a lot of damage. And, you know, I believe it's not just his ACL, it's his um, you know, medial ligament as well and his cartilage because coming in at that angle, you just can do everything. The hope was perhaps it was just cartilage, but no luck for him. But, you know, I think probably Johnny Wilkinson needs to give him a call and just tell him that it, it will end one day and uh, he, he will have a career. Yeah, he's going to have to have some phenomenal patience and resilience. Ugo, when we look at Saracen's performance, what do we make of it? 
What I found really interesting was uh, Tim Cocker's interview of Owen Farrell at the end of the game. He said technically they haven't been brilliant over this period and you look at their last three or four games, they've snuck games. You think of Sale away at the weekend was the difference in them just taking one try. But Owen Farrell really credited their attitude, their energy. And those are the things I think during the tricky period, what is a very, a very congested period for them. Internationals just coming back off the back of an international of, of internationals. But they have just dug out these wins. But Exeter at home of the Alliance, they're going to need more than just technical ability. Yeah, those dark winter months are a big test for the teams. But preparation is key. You can answer something for us here, George. One of the big topics of conversation out of that game was the Maruatoji block, the, the football block of a kick from Owen Williams. It was a phenomenal block. Now, just some people are saying it was wonderfully skillful. I'm in that camp potential for it to go wrong. Others saying it's dangerous, it was reckless, it should have got a yellow card. We're hearing stories that it was actually something that Saracens had trained for, had prepared for. Yeah, I think, you know, when you kick a ball, it's either going to be a grubber or up in the air. Um, we've just looked at, you know, the options of that and, and how you can kind of slow that ball down a little bit. Ben, how do you, how do you view that one? Well, look, Tremendous bit of skill. Um, I wouldn't recommend every second row to try it, <laughs> particularly if you're not quite as quick as Murray, you might end up taking his knee out. But, you know, it just shows, you know, the level of detail of the teams that are being successful at the moment, the likes of England, the level of detail when, when the players go there, and at Saracens is, uh, is outstanding. And, you know, um, it, it's, it's, other, it's areas that other teams are aspiring to. Yeah, there was a, there was a quote about it from one of the referees saying it was, it was legal, inventive, but don't try this one at home. Now, Wasps had enjoyed a remarkable 2016 unbeaten at the Rico, but a trip to the northeast and Kingston Park to take on a rapidly improving Newcastle Falcons would test their aspirations to finish 2016 top of the pile. Such an exciting game at Kingston Park at the weekend. And let's face it, when Newcastle went up against Wasps at the weekend, they certainly met their match. When you look at the stats of the game, if Newcastle needed any evidence or any proof as to what they're doing is making sense and working for them, then here it is. They've beaten Wasps, who are, let's face it, the best attacking team in the Premiership in pretty much every category apart from clean breaks. So when you look at the back's contribution to a man, every single Newcastle back has then gone and beat the Wasp back. So a really massive tip of the hat for what they've done. We've got some really good examples of the way in which they're looking to play at the moment. They always play this shape, using the forwards, trying to release the backs out of the back, and Takanur picking up that really intelligent scrum half line, which really gets their game going. But let's face it, at the base of the scrum, they've got absolute monster in a petty funu. And if they can get stability up front, which they got at the weekend, he can be a deadly threat here. Takalu, already mentioned him once, the base of a ruck as well, you can't switch off at any point. He's always going to be a sniping threat, keeping defenders honest. This gets them onto the front foot. And the front foot is where they spend most of their game. But also the width which they get within the game, what it does is creates mismatches in those wider channels. This time, you're getting the big forwards up against the back, Ali Hogg up against Cipriani. And when they get into the 22, they go direct. The width game goes and they come direct. They punch two tries of what they got at the weekend out of it. Absolutely brilliant. And I have to say, the mindset in the northeast is certainly changing. You can hear from what was said after the game from Dave Warder, one of their coaches. On Friday night, I met someone from the club who said, well done. And I sort of went straight back and said, what, well done for losing. You know, we, we lost to Wasps 34-30 and we're getting people telling you well done. I think they were probably 
several thousand people here that didn't believe we could win the game, but I firmly believe that we should have won the game, and it was actually our lack of accuracy that cost us. And guys, that is the, uh, that's the big story at the moment, isn't it, Ben? The, the resurgence, the reappearance of Bristol now as a force. It seems as though those, those two wins in European rugby has really given them a head of steam. It's just that confidence thing, isn't it? And it's amazing. We've seen it in seasons before when one team's right at the bottom and they get a win. The following week, the other team at the bottom gets a win as well. It almost kicks them into life. And now Sale have been dragged back down into, the, into that relegation battle. So uh, it's going to be fascinating over the next few weeks. But Bristol, they've got great finishes. Tom Varndell is on a rich vein of form. They can beat teams. It's not just the teams at the bottom that they'll be eyeing. Confidence is a massive thing. We see their, their, uh, their last few results and the match is still coming up. Four wins on the bounce. Northampton away. I fancy they can do something there because Northampton are rocking a little bit. And then Bath at home in that European rugby. What do we expect from Bristol in this, this second half of the season? Hey, I mean, we've known about their character. We've known how they've built. And now added to all of that, they've got a bit of confidence. A new coach and staff, and we've spoke about Richard Cocker and Leicester earlier, well, we've had a new coach come into Bristol. Automatically, they're getting dividends out of it. And uh, they'll go to Northampton with a huge amount of confidence. I don't think they'll fear anyone. They've got nothing to lose. They've been written off from day one. Expect a lot of fight. George Saracens have played against Sale quite a bit this season in the Premiership and in Europe. Are you surprised to see them being dragged into that battle at the foot of the table? Yeah, I'd say so. You know, they're a pretty good team. They've got a decent pack. Um, they play a hard game as well. Uh, and they are pretty, pretty far down there. I guess Steve Diamond won't be too happy with that. But um, the quality players that they've got, you know, you'd expect them to be pushing a little bit further up. Then we can look at their results. They don't make uh, pretty reading. In the same way as confidence can build a team, you get into a losing spiral, it's contagious. It is. Um, again, they're a team that have decent finishers with the, the two rugby league imports. We saw Solomana score again uh, this weekend. My worry for them is their halfback control of the game. And having lost Danny Cipriani last year, AJ McGinty come in, hasn't really taken the team by the scruff of the neck. Um, they've obviously lost... Um, uh, Peter Stringer, um, which is a huge, huge uh, blow. Uh, so, you know, it's a, um, they've got Mike Phillips in there. They just need some of that game control uh, to, to, to put their foot on teams and actually not just hope that the guys out wide are going to come up with the, with the uh, goods. Yeah, they've got some tough fixtures coming their way as well. Ugo, what do we make of Bath? Seemingly in total control against Exeter, they lose that one. What have they got to do to turn things around before they take on Newcastle at Kingston Park? Got to play for 80 minutes. The first 40 minutes, they're exceptional in terms of their possession, territory. Every single stat would suggest they would win that game and win it comfortably. They had a couple of opportunities, but to come away with the second half and not having scored a single point, they'll have to look at that. They learned a lesson against Wasp in terms of attacking play. Last week was a, was a display in terms of Exeter's heart, but also Bath switching off. Tell us a little bit about Jack Noel. You'll appreciate good wing play. Was that a fine display or was that a fine display? That was the most complete performance I've seen from an English winner, winger this season. I just thought he was outstanding. Obviously, it was Samessa Rockadagoon. He had the Hollywood moment, but for me, it's not just about Hollywood moments, about complete performances. You look at those stats. 14 carries, seven defenders beaten, 13 tackles, and three of them for me were try-saving tackles. This was a little run that he went on to, which got Exeter on the front foot and got them back in the game. But his influence throughout the game, look at that, just tracking back his work rate off the ball is brilliant. Anthony Watson coming on, looks like he's scoring a try. 
not on Jack Knowles' watch. He is coming to the form right at the perfect time. For me, he occupies the number 14 shirt for England. Exeter on the rise again. Two teams at the bottom, Worcester and Bristol, resurgent. Harlequins. Depends which Harlequins team you're looking about. The, the Harlequins at home or the Harlequins away? Yeah, I think they, uh, they obviously need to, to work on um, what they're doing the night before the game when they go away together. That's them at home this year, third in the table. Um, you know, they've got a 47 points plus uh, points difference. But then you look at them away from home, they're right down at the bottom, minus 82 on the points difference. So, you know, I, I, I was saying to Hugo, you know, have they tried changing what they're doing when they're away from home? I know that sort of back when I was playing and, and Leicester were having a poor run at, away from home, we tried t turning up much later to the, to the opposition's ground, having got all the strapping done at the, at the hotel, just pile out there. It's, it, you almost need to get people out of their, their this, is the, this is how we do it mindset. So change the warm-up, change something. But I'm sure they've already tried that, have they? They, they certainly have. I mean, you look at the statistics the last few years, you need to win an average of about 14 games to get, into the, to get into the top form. So they'll have to rely on good home form this season. Sevens isn't the poor relation anymore. It is an Olympic sport and it's rugby on another level. Please welcome the superstars of England Sevens team, James Rodwell, Phil Burgess, Charlie Hayter and Callum Serka. Um, I'm going to come straight to you, James, because we need to give you a massive round of applause. You played on the World Series for England Sevens, 69 consecutive World Series tournaments in Singapore. Is it now 70? Are we up to 70? 71 now. 71. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a world record. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> now, the reason I want to mention this, the reason I want to mention this is, is the, the attrition that you guys have to go through, tournament after tournament, distance after distance. When we look at where you play and the, <laughs> and the, the locations you go to, it can seem glamorous. There's a lot of travelling, and it means that you have been now fit and able for, and fit for selection and playing well enough to play 71 tournaments. How do you keep that energy up? Um, yeah, it's tough. Obviously, we're, we're put through a pretty rigorous regime um, with our strength, strength and conditioner. You know, he puts us through our paces week in, week out. But, you know, ultimately, I've been pretty fortunate with injuries. Um, we, we absolutely test our body to the limits on the pitch um, and in training. And, yeah, just how enjoyable it is to run out and, and play in those tournaments just drives you to, to continue playing and pulling on the English shirt. It's an amazing feeling. It is phenomenal. Phil, I'm going to ask you to stand up a minute. Stand up a minute because um, you really don't need to be on a low stool when you're sat next to me. Sit down. You are, that's, that's clearly Austin's. There we go. Oh, yeah, Excellent. There, well done. There, you're up on level. Good to see you. Excellent stuff. Um, Charlie, you are, you are carrying a, uh, a trophy there. Tell us all about that one. That's a big one. <laughs> that is a big, big trophy. Uh, yeah, the actual big trophy is still in South Africa. We weren't allowed to take it back, so we got the, the mini replica. Um, but yeah, amazing win in Cape Town a couple of weeks ago. Um, great way to kick off the World Series with a, a third place in Dubai and then going out and winning the tournament in Cape Town. Yeah, that's brilliant. That doesn't really do it justice. That's the sort of thing you pick up when you go and get your keys cut. But that means that you are now... Let's have a look at the, the World Standings, because this is winning the Cape Town Sevens, one of the World Series tournaments, and it now means that you are second, ranked second in the world, behind South Africa. What, what, is that, what sort of boost, lift does that give the England game, the England Sevens game? Yeah, it's been a, a massive start to the season with a, with a long pre-season coming back off the Olympics and quite a few new guys coming into the squad. Um, and just starting the World Series on a positive note is, is really great. And, you know, there's a long way to go. There's eight more tournaments uh, around the world to compete in. And we've just got to keep the, the foot going and keep going forward. Talking about young guys coming onto the scene, 
fresh-faced Callum Circa at the end there, holding a bit of uh, a bit of glassware. What is what's the significance of uh, of that? Tell yeah, us what so um, uh, we have an academy, obviously at England Sevens, and we go to different places. So we went to Kenya, Singapore, and Dubai. And uh, luckily, we got a we got a win in Singapore, uh, and then we went on to Dubai and got another win. So yeah, this is from Singapore. So. Pretty decent. Well done, Phil. Let's have a look at the, at the fixtures and we'll get an idea of how much travelling you have to do. And you'll see why people think that's not a bad circus to be part of. Dubai, Cape Town, Wellington, Sydney, Las Vegas, Vancouver, Hong Kong, Singapore, Paris, London. So South Africa won in Dubai, England won in Cape Town. There's a lot of travelling, a lot of time distances to get around mm. and the fitness levels that you have to maintain when there are big chunks of, uh, of time between tournaments. It's like doing permanent pre-season, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Rod has sort of spoke about it and saying that, you know, we push our bodies to the limit, but it's, it's a case of we're far more like athletes now rather than rugby players in the sense that we train for, you know, we train for the competitions, you know, so we taper and stuff like that. So two weeks out from competition, we maybe uh, reduce our load so that we can be fresh and ready to go. But obviously, as you say, we're traveling around the world as well. So it's a case of we train all this time and then, you know, you can travel, but then sometimes it still takes three days to recover from jet lag, depending where you're going. So we've tried lots of different things to get over that um, I don't really know if the guys would agree with me there's not one way that you'd say would work I mean we've had these glasses on that you have to wear at sort of five six in the morning and stay up till 11 and 12 at night so it sort of you know puts you in the right time so before you fly and stuff like this but you know glasses uh, yeah like they, they've got lights on them so they shine into your eyes so it's uh, it's trying to trick you into saying that it's a different time of day and things like this which you know i think charlie actually fell asleep with his on so i don't think it's really showed how well that worked um but no they're trying all these different things just to try and aid that because if you imagine like traveling uh, you know, it, the, the jet lag side is such a big thing because you, you're losing time training and everything like that. So it's about trying to recover. Um, and I think as well, going back to Rodders being, you know, 69, I think that's a fantastic achievement there. I think the only thing that we need to see really is the injuries he has picked up are these fingers. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen them, but maybe hold if we the, can get... Hold those fingers up, hold get, those fingers up. That's, look, look at, at these. those. That's, um, that's that seven's injuries. That is, you have got <laughs> Skeletor's hands on you there. That is so phenomenal. That is <laughs> wow! That is that, quite <laughs> astonishing. You love him for that, don't you? Is, is that now, one of the big things, obviously, um, the Rio Olympics put sevens firmly in the world spotlight. You guys competed uh, with the GB team, and some of the 15s boys wanted to try and get a part of that. They were very able, but the fitness regime they had to go to, the levels they had to get to, were phenomenal. One player who did, of course, do that is Marcus Watson. He's back now in 15s. You guys know him very well indeed, and surprise, surprise. We have him on the line. Marcus Watson, welcome. <laughs> good to have you here. Hello, Marcus. How you doing? Hey, Marcus. I'm very good. Look at him. All right, mate. All right. All right. All right. Still yeah. laughing at Rodders' fingers. <laughs> <laughs> they are a thing of wonder. Now, talking about injuries, you, uh, you tweet your hamstring in that game against Wasps. How, uh, how is it? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's OK. It's not ideal. But, uh, yeah, I had a scan uh, yesterday, so just kind of waiting on results. But, um, but yeah, not the best. How... Uh, when you see these guys, you've obviously tasted sevens at the top level, fifteens at the top level. If you had to choose between the two, which one would it be? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to say fifteens now because I'm in it. But uh, I love I love everything to do with sevens, and um, and and yeah, both equal to be fair. Um, there's things I like about fifteens and things I love about sevens as well. Okay, guys, I don't know which one of you is best mates with Marcus, and it can embarrass him the most. But how was his how was his acclimatization to? Uh, to sevens? 
I think. Oh, there we go. When he, when he came back, I think Simon was a little bit on your case, wasn't he? About a little bit of extra timber you were carrying. Um, yeah, and then... the very first tournament. Because <laughs> that's what we all noticed when we saw you playing for Newcastle. We thought, there goes a fatty. <laughs> it's, a different, it's a different world, Sevens. I'd literally gone away for, for one season, and all the boys, especially Norts, was giving me. Uh, giving me uh, rubbish about having a bit of a belly. <laughs> <laughs> just tell us, just give us a, a quick idea on the difference in the fitness between 15s and 7s. Uh, so I think one thing I was most amazed about when I only had a year out and was back uh, sort of with the GB setup was, I, in my head, to be honest with you, I kind of came in thinking I wouldn't be too far behind on, on the fitness, but it was a serious wake-up. Um, it took me a good sort of four or five weeks of as hard a training as I've ever had to, uh, to get back to some sort of fitness. And even by the end of that, I don't think I was quite at the same level as I uh, was when I was playing sevens. James, just give us an idea of the, uh, of the boost that, uh, that the Olympics has given the, the game of sevens. Right, the Olympics has been massive for sevens. I think a lot of us who play the game knew how great it could be. And, you know, having it on a global stage like the Olympics just gave everyone else that opportunity to see that. And, um, you know, all the games in both the men's and women's tournaments were, were so competitive that, you know, everyone that you spoke to afterwards, oh, that sevens is all right, isn't it? It's pretty good. <laughs> and, and, you know, for us that play it, we, you know, we've been saying that for years and it's, it's a great game to be involved in. But, you know, I think we're just sort of starting to see some of the smaller nations picking it up as well. And it's only going to grow bigger and bigger I think and I think when it gets to Tokyo in 2020 you're going to see an even bigger game than it is now. Great stuff. Marcus quick question to you when you returned to Newcastle with an Olympic medal were you uh, was there an air of wonder about it it's something that rugby players don't see that often? Um, yeah it was, it was a bit strange sort of you know some of the some of the boys were all sort of wanting to take um, to take pictures of it and stuff like that and um, it kind of almost made me realise when I got back I suppose almost how how, how big it is, I guess, that, that there's sort of my friends and, and teammates that, that all kind of wanted to see the medal. It kind of showed me the, the importance of the whole thing, really. Well, well, we know you've had a scan on your, your hamstring. We hope that didn't show too much damage. We hope to see you back on the field of play as quickly as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for Marcus Watson. Great to have you here. And, uh, and James, um, sadness as well in, in the sevens world. Atalia Okati, the former Tong captain, he, uh, he died in a, in a car crash. The, the sevens fam uh, family is very, very close. You train together, you travel together, you play together very, very close indeed. That must have hit hard. Yeah, it's tragic news uh, for the whole sevens game, really. I mean, when, when we travel to these tournaments, those great places that you, you put up on the screen, um, we, all the teams stay in the same hotel. We all eat in the same dining room. So, you know, there is that camaraderie between the teams. And, you know, you, to, lose, to lose a person that's been involved in such a great game, I mean, sevens or fifteens is, yeah, tragic news. And, you know, best wishes to all his family. Massive game of the weekend. Was against Leicester. I'm going to be was coach for the night. For me, we need to focus on what we do. And what we do better than any other team in the Premiership is attack. When you look at all the stats, especially when you compare them against their set-piece sources, sixth in terms of lineup, but what they do with that ball is exceptional. Top of all the stats, carries, metres, clean breaks and passes. And for me, the way in which we do that is because we use our 10 and 12 really well. We get such great width in the game. When you look at the wingers and the back three talent which we have, why wouldn't you use it? So my first point is is organisation and width in the game. If we can get those two and use our strike runners, 
we will tear Leicester apart. Another area, kick pressure, kick chase, and our kicking game. If Freddie Burns plays 15, let's get after him. Outstanding 10, but certainly finding his feet at fullback. The next thing, play for the full 80. If we do that, we tear any team apart, and this graphic shows it. This is our scoring profile right across the 80 minutes, and it's evenly spread. We play from minute one through to minute 80. We do those things right, we will win. And if I take the Leicester team, obviously Hugo's pointed out the attacking threat of Worcester, the best attack in the league probably at the moment. So the key for Leicester is to frustrate Wasps and not give them any momentum. They are a real momentum team. So in terms of their forward carriers, the likes of Ashley Johnson, Nathan Hughes, it's a chop tackle. Get them on the floor early. Don't let those players ride the challenges. Get two or three metres so that those backs are on the front foot when they're receiving the ball. How do you take that momentum away from them? Wasps want high ball in play. They want to fatigue the forwards of Leicester Tigers. So Leicester have to reduce the amount of ball in play, make it a forwards battle, control that. Do not let it become a free-flowing open game. Also, Leicester want to control the territory. They want to be playing down in the Wasps' half. The referees are going to be under massive pressure with the new law amendments uh, this weekend. So you want those decisions, if they go against you, to go against you in the opposition half. And if you're getting penalties, you get opportunities for three points. So, how do we do that? How do we get the territory? Obviously, it's all about the kicking game. Probably Leicester's big concern going into this game was, will be the accuracy of their kicking game. It's been a bit hit and miss. Uh, consistency hasn't been there. Firstly, the accuracy of the kicker. We need the box kicks of Ben Youngs to be landing on the man as um, the defensive uh, chasers get there. They do not want the likes of last weekend when Alex Good had some grass in front of him to run into, get that momentum. You can't afford that against the likes of Rob Miller, Kirtley Beale, Christian Wade, whoever they've got in that back three. Awesome uh, broken field runners, as Ugo is pointing out. And that's why the kick chase also has to be accurate. You can't have a single runner running at uh, Christian Wade. You have to have three men at least going up in the chase with the middle man on the ball. So whichever way he steps, he gets pincered in from the other side. They maybe need to take a little bit of uh, pace off the kick chase to make sure they have that connected line. When do Leicester kick? They have to be on the front foot. They can't be going backwards. I think that's caused some of the accuracy problems is they've probably played too many, um, too many phases before they get to the kick. They've waited till they've been knocked out and knocked back and nothing's on. And then they've tried to kick. That will play into Wasps' hands. And it's also about energy conservation of the forwards because the forwards are going to have a big task this weekend. If we look at that, the forwards game they want, they need to manage those energy levels. If we just have a look at the statistics of Leicester when they're carrying the ball, 56% of the carries are made by the forwards, yet they're only getting a 35% yield in terms of the metres made. So we have to look after our forwards, make sure that they're not mindlessly running into brick walls and we're conserving that energy so when they do carry, they're making an impact with the ball, putting Ben Youngs onto the front foot. Just moving back to the forwards, the other area is obviously the set piece. Hugo mentioned it. Scrum and line-out, not Wasp's strongest strength. The scrum not too bad, but Leicester absolutely tore Saracens apart at the scrum last week. George Cruz might disagree with that. Uh, the line-out is another area that Leicester can go after Wasp's sixth-best line-out in, in the league. And actually, when Bath played at them, they really fell apart in that aspect. So Leicester need to be playing the game down in the um, Wasps' half and attacking the set-piece, trying to get those turnovers. And finally, I've put carries. 
The referees are under more pressure than anyone else. I think they need to test the ref. How's he going to defend? If you're down in uh, the opposition 22, how you're carrying the ball is going to be all important to see how the referee, whether the referees are going to give, start giving penalties. Absolutely. We're looking at the new laws and amendments which have come in uh, just in play today. We'll see them come in play at the weekend. And I think what we're going to see, and it's all great, the safety of the play, but we're going to see a difference in the height of the, of the tackler. But what World Rugby haven't really kind of spoke about is the responsibility and the liability of the ball carrier himself. So if Ben comes to tackle me, at that height, the one thing I want to do is secure the ball as well as give myself a really strong trunk. So if I go into contact there and I hit Ben with my elbow, my knee, my hip, and that makes connection with his head, what happens from that? No doubt we'll see some examples well, of the weekend. I totally agree with you because actually, although concussion is a big problem for the ball carrier, the highest incidence of injury for the tackler is concussion when they're making that tackle. So if we're now saying that players have to go lower, we're going to see more instances of people hitting elbows, hips, knees, and we might see that go up. We might need to redress that balance as well. The other problem I think that, um, that the tackler has, and these laws don't really explain how they're going to be refereed, is what happens if, as I come into tackle Hugo, he dips just as low as me because there's a good chance that I'm going to get a head collision here or my, my shoulder's going to go onto his head. Who's, whose fault was that? Should I have known that he might have dipped? In which case, it could be a yellow card. The other problem that faces is if he's down really low, where can I tackle? Because if I come in at this height, it's very difficult, unless I've got fantastic shoulder flexibility, to get my arms up and make that wraparound tackle. And we've seen a lot of players getting penalised, yellow carded, for coming in with that bowling ball tackle where they try to go low, can't get their arms up, and end up being a, a, you know, skittling the player over the top. So that's going to be a problem. But I think the biggest area this weekend, and one reason why if I was Leicester, I'd be kicking to the corner a lot, is those broken down malls that we see Exeter so superb at afterwards, the pick and go. Because if Ugo is trying to tackle me, there's the try line. What's, what's my body shape going to be? I'm going to pick from the base and I'm going to go as low as I can and then try and extend over the try line. Now, where did Ugo make contact with me? The head. What other option has Ugo got it rather than to make contact with my head? It's incredibly difficult for me. The first thing is I can't go into the traditional three-point stance. My hand's got to be up above that line. I'm behind the line. But I guess from this far out, you, I need to get lower than Ben. And it's almost impossible at that height when they're picking and going. So to make a dominant hit, I'm going to be colliding heads or my shoulder is going to make contact. It's such a devastating area from attacking player these days. Almost impossible to so defend. So letter of the law, in my mind... Ugo would have known, so the laws state that uh, if you knew there was a chance of making contact with the head and you still went through the tackle, that's an automatic yellow card. If it's just accidental, it's a penalty against you. So stood on the line there, you know he's going to come low. Are we going to see a lot of yellow cards this weekend? It'll be fascinating to see. We'll keep a very close eye on the games over the next few weeks. There have, of course, been other law amendments as well, more clarification about the eye area and actually making contact with the eye, and also significant contact with the referee in a game to avoid things like this, where Mike Blair completely misses Brayton Pulser and tackles the referee. It's a bit of a laugh, but we have seen situations where players have gone skittling into referees and barged them out of the way. So there are, uh, there are other areas. But the tackle one is the big one. People worried it's going to completely change the game. Guys, probably for the first time ever in predictions, you've all gone for the same teams. But let's talk about our first game on Friday night, Newcastle against 
uh, Bath. You have both gone for Newcastle to win this one. Why is that? Oh, I just think the confidence that Newcastle have, the form they're in, the fact that Bath have taken a little bit of a dent uh, on that surface, I just fancy that Newcastle might fancy this game. Yeah, expect to see a reaction from Bath, no doubt, but Newcastle, the form, the confidence which we've spoken about in their game plan, it's not just about looking pretty, it's pretty effective as well. Not Exeter against Southampton. Will Jack Noel play? He doesn't like playing on the artificial pitches. No, he'd be a massive loss if, he's, if he doesn't play for Exeter this weekend, but Saracens, they're on such a roll at the moment, impregnable at home. Definitely Saracens in that game. And Ben, what are the chance of Bristol? Northampton are rocking a little bit. Could that be the big upset? It, it could be, but I just think that Northampton, that the, the benefit of that win against Gloucester might just lift that confidence. Tough for Bristol to back up from where they've been to, to getting three on the trot. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll see you again next week. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details